Hi, this is Sedge Thompson. Welcome to this special audio highlights podcast from West Coast Live. For more information about our shows and other guests and podcasts, wcl.org. My next guest is uh, somebody I've known for uh, well over 20 years. One time he was art correspondent for Newsweek magazine. In 1985, he came up with the idea of starting a magazine, a literary magazine, a quarterly. I think maybe it comes out three times a year now. Uh, called Ziziva. Now, Ziziva, what the heck is that? What was he thinking? Hmm? Well, it's the, uh, the last word in the American Heritage Dictionary, therefore yeah. the last word in the Journal of Writing and Arts for writers and artists of the West Coast, and he specifically aimed for the West Coast. And I helped him start it. You I mean, did? I, I helped him start it. What? Uh, but many people helped him start it, but I was, I was there, and I should just let you know that. And I've known him for, uh, for many years. They've, they've known, I don't know, 63, 64 issues by now. Still a great published just about every great, great writer and artist. Everybody looks to Everything it. from scores at the Kronos Quartet Commission to mm-hmm. plays to scripts to pen and ink drawings, interesting short stories, many of which were written by writers who went on to become even better known than More they were when they were yeah. published in Ziziva. Uh, he has one of the most engaging websites, ziziva.org, Z-Y-Z-Z-Y-V-A dot O-R-G. Please welcome Mr. Howard Junker, the West Coast Line. I, uh, we've actually been covering sort of the same beat over the 20 years. We're West Coast Live, yeah. feature the Pacific Rim in the West Coast. I mean, that's been your territory, but slightly different. Always glad to have you move in. <laughs> we started about the same time. Um, well, as you, as you may have, may remember, you signed the uh, Articles of Incorporation for Zizivan. We're on the board. Right. No, I do remember. I do remember. Now, this is a, uh, uh, you've, you've become in a way kind of a publishing empire. Oh, up to issue 74. Uh, you've, you've done anthologies, uh, collections. Is there, is there a form of media that you would next like to conquer? Uh, live radio, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like fun. Fun. It is. It is fun. It is fun, uh, and we've, we're up to issue six hundred thirteen today. So. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. But you spend a lot of uh, a lot of time uh, working with with writers and, and drawing them in, seeking out uh, both writers and artists. And is, is, is the acquisition process for a piece uh, of of art different from uh, a written piece in your magazine? Yes, uh, because we own the first serial rights. The first time a piece of writing appears, we actually have the right to have that before anybody else. So we have to pay for that. We just reproduce images. We don't own the images. Uh, so I can just do anything I want in that, in that case. I couldn't get a piece by Gus Lee, for example, at this point. Uh, he doesn't live on the West Coast, so that, that would eliminate him. He lives in Colorado. Is that, what, is, is that too far east? Too far east. You have to be on, on the West Coast, California, Oregon, Washington, Alaska, Hawaii. But, but could you include Mexico, uh, uh, Costa Rica, Chile, if need be? Maybe, yeah. Not Argentina, though, for sure. <laughs> that's, on the, that's on the other side. Yeah. The idea was that when I started it, I was working in a big company, Bechtel. And uh, I thought uh, that uh, uh, when I had lunch with the proofreader in my department, he said that he had, in the early 50s, had a literary magazine in Columbus, Ohio. And I thought, oh, yeah, sure. And then I asked him, well, who did you publish? And he said, William Carlos Williams, 
uh, Charles Olson, Robert Creeley, Lawrence Ferlinghetti. And I thought, whoa, that's cool. Maybe we could do something here, like we could put on a show. And uh, so, the, but unfortunately, there weren't enough people within Bechtel to do that. And then my next thought was we could do it downtown because I heard that there was some poet who worked in B at B of A in the public relations department and so on. But there weren't enough people downtown, so I, it, it gradually expanded. And I needed to have a sense of limits. I needed to have a, a definition. I had grown up in on the East Coast and had worked in New York for, for a little while. And uh, it, it was hard for me to understand where I was living in uh, in California, it didn't, didn't make sense to me. I, I didn't speak the language. I was, I was really an immigrant. And, and, and now, do you feel settled? Uh, I feel very settled because I've actually lived here longer than I lived on the East Coast, but I still have no idea what it means to be on the West Coast. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, it even varies by latitude as you move up and down. Absolutely, it's a, it's a, it's a big coast. It's a big coast. So uh, would, you, would you take a piece from somebody in Idaho? No, no, absolutely not. No. no. So even though they've got a river that tribute, uh, contributes into the Pacific and goes right through Oregon, no. No, we're very, st we're very strict. Yeah. Very strict. Um, and how do you verify residency when, when somebody sends you a piece? <laughs> Indeed, I'm sure there are people who, who mail their, their manuscripts in from their mother's house, you know. <laughs> and, who, who would you like to get that you haven't gotten yet in your magazine? Well, in the beginning, I, I did want to publish stars only. Uh, having worked for Newsweek for a while in, in New York, I was used to the big time. And so in the first issue, I, uh, I was proud to have Milos and Alice Walker and MFK Fisher. And, and I, I really wanted to have real celebrities. That, that I, that, those are the people I wanted to hang out with. Uh, but after a few years, I began to realize that they didn't really care if they were appearing in Ziziva. And... and uh, that uh, I really liked discovering things in the slush pile. And so I resolved that I would try to, I would devote myself to writers whom I could help more than they could help me. And so now in the next issue, which is our 75th, I have seven writers who have never been published before in, in the genre that, that uh, and that's, that's pretty amazing. And I, it's not that I pick them because they've never been published before, but somehow when, when I, read their pieces in the, in the slush pile, I'm somehow attracted to them. So I have a, a kind of a perverse taste now. I, I like the raw, the on form, the, the, the protean, the, the, the sense of possibility. And now as an editor then, do you get into the raw and the unformed and sort of make suggestions on how to form it or do you want to just do it like raw splat? Uh, no, I'm, I'm very heavy-handed. <laughs> uh, and I think that's, partly, that's part of my attraction to it. You know, established writers think that they should just have it exactly the way. One time, uh, Robert Hass, the former poet laureate, before he was poet laureate, sent in a poem in, about a friend of his who had jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. And he had the, the guy facing the ocean. So I queried on, on that, and I said, well, the, the, the direction that everybody faces is towards the city when they jump off, maybe because it's easier to get to, I don't know. And he said, oh, no, that's, that's fine. I want to have him jumping off facing the ocean. But when the poem came out in a book, his book, his collection, he had changed it. Ah. So that was, a, that was a great triumph for the editorial intervention. <laughs> but it appeared the other way in, in Ziziva. In, in, yeah, when, when I published it, it was the way he wanted it because he was the author. And now, uh, you know, I, I do think that, that anything 
any manuscript belongs to the author. Uh, but if I can help it, and if I can feel my way uh, into their sensibility, into their, into their spirit, and you know, propose, say, why don't we start this piece on page three, and drop page eight, and uh, drop another character and add this, that's, that, that's helping them do what they would do if they had another mind. It's very bad for a writer to be an editor. Uh, it leads to writer's block. You have to just let it come out, however it does. And later, if, if, you're, if you're lucky, I think, then an editor can help you do the, the finer tuning or the, or the shaping. What do you do about editor's block? Uh, you, you can't have it. Uh, what you have instead of editor's block is you have editor's desperation. So once an issue goes to the, to the printer, and I'm still reading manuscripts, so I, I have to read them every week, otherwise they pile up, uh, my appetite is, has been decreased a little bit. And then as the weeks go along and I still don't have anything and the new issue is looming, then I become more voracious. And, and then even as deadline approaches, then I seem to find wonderful things. <laughs> to, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's like going to, to a, a, a party uh, when you're young and single uh, and you can't go home alone. Sooner or later, you know, you, you have to find something. So that, that drives me. Editing is kind of a musical chairs in a way, I suppose. Uh, it, you know, the, the music stops when the deadline is there. When the issue closes, whatever's there gets in. Basically, basically that. Somehow or another, uh, over the years, I've been able to, uh, to pace myself so I acquire just enough. A lot of editors just buy stuff and they have backlogs. And I've never been able to do that. I've always thought that would be wonderful to have... have uh, enough stuff so that, you, so that I'd know that I was safe. But I have actu absolutely nothing for the next issue. It's all in an issue that I've, I've just sent to the printer. I mean, so, so nothing yet for 76, but you got everything for 75. Yeah. And 75, that's a big deal. Uh, it's not a big deal. It's, a, it's, a, it's not round. It's not a round number. Big deals are like 10, 25, 50, 100. So I'm... I'm, I'm so why does 75 if you've got 25 and 50 in there? <laughs> Well, it's just because when you're, when you're, when you're young enough, uh, every milestone counts. Now the milestone that I'd, that I'd like to, uh, to uh, pass is that somebody that I've published becomes a, a, a household name, uh, like, like Gus Lee or, or Robert Coover. Uh, I have some candidates. Uh, the, the closest so far, I think, is maybe FX Tool, whose name nobody knows about, but his stories generated... Uh, a movie, didn't they? A movie. Yes, uh, that won the Academy Award Million Dollar Baby. And so I discovered him and published his first story when he was 69. And unfortunately, he died before uh, Clint Eastwood got the property, so he didn't even know that that was happening, and he didn't know that, that uh, his, his stories generated a, a great film. One of the, one of the uh, interesting little sidebars on your website are various... Uh, media placements, it appears, of, of Ziziva and various television shows and films. Are you actively in, involved in this product placement? or uh? No, that's, that's the marvelous thing about it. Uh, Janet Fitch used uh, Ziziva in her novel White Oleander and Joyce Carol Oates. It's in, the, it's in the dictionary. So many people kind of find the word and they're attracted to it too. Uh, I liked it uh, out of desperation, of course, because I had tried all the other letters reading the dictionary 
searching for a title. And, you know, I, I, read, the, I, read, the, I read the obvious letters first, you know, T, M, L, F. Then I said, oh, I've, I've really got to do this systematically, so I began at A. And I truly worked my way all the way through, and I just could not find a word. And then I got to this last word, and I could just see it in all caps italic that it would be very slanty uh, and very opaque. And nobody would know what it was. And I didn't know what it was. And it seemed to be absolutely essential for a literary magazine to have some absolutely crazy, nonsensical name. Uh, and so, and so I, I seized on it. And then other people have seized on it, too. Uh, and, uh, but no, I, I can't place it. Uh, have, have you, uh, when you, when you look at issue 70, uh, 74, and you look back at issue one, I mean, what, what, uh, what are some of the, the major differences? Do you see a sense of progression in, in how your style has changed? Uh, yes. It, I mentioned the, the, my, now, my gradual devotion to unknown writers. Uh, also, I'm using a lot more art than I used to. Now, I always used artists, but now I, every, every text is separated uh, by a drawing, a, a, a photograph, uh, or a print. Uh, and in the next issue, in fact, there's, there are 50 pages of art. Uh, usually there are only 35, and, and even that, that seems excessive to me. So I like that. Uh, the covers are now in color. Uh, one of the amazing things with the digital revolution is that, that, the, that uh, color printing is now done digitally rather than with four color separations. So it just goes through the press once. So it's a little bit more expensive than doing it with two colors, but not terribly. So th that's been very exciting. So I've been able to use paintings uh, on the cover. Before I was very strict and then only had to be works on paper in black and white. So you find your strictness elasticizing over the years? Yeah, I, th I, think, I think with age I've, <laughs> I've mellowed a little bit, uh, but also the world has, has, has changed a little bit and, and has expanded. One of the, one of the uh, elements of the magazine that, that I enjoy and that I know is, it's famous for are the uh, kind of the quippish insouciant notes by the editor and also uh, uh, little bits of writings, uh, letters to the editor that you publish, for instance, say on the back cover of the book or on the, in the inside. You seem to have fun with the form of the book and, and, and while you take the content seriously, you seem to take yourself and the magazine uh, somewhat more lightheartedly. Uh, actually, it's, it's, the, it's the opposite. I mean, it's wonderful that you observed um, that I do, I've, that, that's one of the big changes. I've begun to care about the, the form of the literary magazine itself. Uh, and I would like it to be beautiful as an object and beautiful with parts. And, and to have a sense of shape and sections and not just be a, a, a string or a series of texts, which most literary magazines are. So on the back, for instance, letters to the editor. Uh, it's raining in Eugene, says Tony Robinson. Uh, that's a letter. Uh, uh, here's one. I live in Portland, a town ripe with creative energy, due for artistic revolution at I reckon any minute. I've been married five months and uh, 18 days, and it's going very well. We live above a Chinese restaurant. Our heater doesn't work, but we're enjoying the irony. Yes. Well, all, all these letters are from uh, writers uh, in the North Pacific Northwest. And the most amazing thing about the back cover, which, which you didn't have time to mention, was that there's now a color photograph on the, on, on the back cover. That's another 
possibility because the front cover and the, and the back cover are, of course, the same piece of paper. So I thought as long as I'm using color in the front, I might as well use color on the back too. The, uh, the magazine is called Ziziva, and it's the last word, West Coast writers and artists. They also publish a collection of uh, stories. They've also published all sorts of other uh, magazines, T-shirts. They've got a great T-shirt collection with those. Uh, and this is a, this is a uh, collection here published by, uh, distributed by Heyday Books, or published by them. Published by Heyday Books. Uh, called Autobiodiversity. It sounds like our biospherical digital aquaphone. It's, it's, it's modeled on that, yes. Um, I, can, I can hold it up and just hear the sound of West Coast writers, the breathing, the desperation, the, boy, I'm sure glad I didn't get one of Howard Junker's rejection notes, which are sometimes funny, sometimes sharp. Well, no, they're always the same. I send the same rejection. What does it say? Uh, it, it, it apologizes for, for being so obtuse and, and missing it, and it encourages them not to be discouraged by my rejection and to keep on, uh, and then on it, I always write, onward, H. Uh, and, then, and then do you still include an, an, uh, an invitation to subscribe to the magazine? Absolutely. Because <laughs> <laughs> you need readers. Uh, it needs subscribers, too. Uh, my feeling is, is, is that they've been kind enough to, uh, to uh, send me something with an envelope which has already been stamped, and so that I might as well take advantage of that. <laughs> Howard Junker, the, uh, the brilliant editor of Ziziva, uh, look for uh, 75, 74 is on the stands now, and of course if you subscribe it'll just be in your mailbox. Great, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Howard Junker. Thank you, Sedge. Congratulations, 20 years. This is Edge Thompson. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Try out others from West Coast Live right here, and we look forward to having you in one of our audiences one day. For more information, wcl.org.